What's up, cigar friends? Today, I am honored to bring you a guest whom prolific is not a strong enough word to describe. With 24 years in the cigar game and nine of those at the helm of his own brand, this man is a creative force in the industry with few peers. He created a cigar brand and TV crossover that even non-cigar smokers will remember. He's made cigars inspired by outlaws, musicians, and even workout techniques. He's curated over 20 cigar lines and countless exclusive and limited release sticks. Welcome to the Cigar Nippur Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Brown, and today we're talking to John Huber, founder and creative madman behind the Crown Head Cigars. John shares his story from telemarketing dog shampoo to starting as the shipping manager and CAO to building Crown Heads. He talks about defining success for himself, the moment he decided never to wear a necktie again, and his commitment to creative collaboration. Plus, we talk about a few cigars. Light one up with us and enjoy episode three, John Huber. So first off, uh, John Huber, founder of the Crowned Head Cigars. Much appreciated. Thank you for joining us today here on uh, the Cigar Nivore podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, man. Where, where are you at right now? I'm curious. Uh, I'm in beautiful, sunny Southern California. I'm oh. in uh, Redondo Beach, just outside of Los Angeles, and uh, in, enjoying a little bit of California sunshine today. So, I know it you, well. Are you, are you in Nashville right now, or are you out on the road? I, I'm at home. I'm home. Yeah, which wow. is just outside of Nashville. We we moved outside of Nashville about eight years ago. Okay, right on. I can't because I don't I'm smoke in the house. So I, yeah, me, I don't blame you for that. Uh, I um, I just tough. came in. From, I was in, I literally at, from like ten o'clock this morning until it's three o'clock here now. I was outside working on. I have to smoke cigars outside now, so I was outside working off of my phone. So ran up yeah. here, got 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 going. So I've had a well, couple. I appreciate already. you. Walking away from the work. <laughs> oh, it's, it's all good, man. It's all good. I don't work. So speaking of, I mean, really, that's kind of the whole concept of this podcast. Uh, okay. Is I think that a lot of us that are fortunate enough to be engaged in this industry and, and in this lifestyle gave up on the idea of hustling and, and you know, working for a living a long time ago. And, right. And just started kind of letting the universe produce what it was going to produce and, and being in line with that. But you 100%. got one of the weirder stories I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> really? What have you heard? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, so oh. not a lot. I'll start there. But, okay. But I've never seen anybody pull two such disparate products together as actual products, if that makes okay. any sense, right? Like a ton of people out there in the game do cigar brand hats as like swag giveaway BS. Mm-hmm. But you actually make good stuff that people want to buy. Like Thank you, you make hats that even if I wasn't a fan of the brand, I'd still like the hats just as a product on its own. Bingo. And you just nailed it right there. Like nobody does that. Yeah. I mean, I've always believed that like whatever you put your brand name on is reflection of your brand. So whether it be a, if you're doing cigars and you're going to do a t-shirt or a hat, it should, it should be at that same level as what you want to project in terms of quality and excellence. And so hats for me have always been like a thing since I was a little kid. So this, it's just kind of like a side adjunct to our business. I mean, we don't make a ton of money selling hats, but I just like to represent the brand and the ethic and the ethos of the brand through headwear. It's such an interesting choice. I mean, and, and, and then naming the company, like Crown there's a hands. connection, right? So talk to me, how did, how did this happen? Okay, it was not intentional. I mean, it was not intentional in the least bit. It was, the crown heads and hats didn't have any connectivity whatsoever. It was really, 
I mean, I'm going to take you back to ugh, late 2010 when I left CAO and my business partner, Mike Condor, left CAO. And then we, like four days later, had our first meeting December 17th, 2010, to decide what this was going to be. So the, my first task in the first month was let's come up with a name that we're going to call the company. And then I, I had a bunch of names, actually. Some that I liked, some Mike didn't like, and vice versa. And then some we both liked that the, the trademark attorneys vetoed. So one day, as simple as it sounds is the truth, I was watching The Wizard of Oz, which is a, a movie I've always been fascinated with. And um, there's a scene in the movie in the very beginning where the character Dorothy is going um, to meet Professor Marvel, the, the guy that you know, tells mm -hmm. a fortune before it goes to full color in the movie. And on the side of his caravan, it said crowned heads of Europe, past, present, future. And I just screenshotted it. I texted it to Mike and I'm like, what do you think of crowned heads? And he's like, I like it. And I was like, it was, it was abstract enough that it, it was, you know, made people ask the question, you know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want it to be like, you know, Condor Huber cigar company or Huber Condor cigar company. It was, I wanted something abstract enough that I could have the creative latitude to create things underneath that brand name. And that's how crowned heads was born, man. To be honest with you, that was as simple as it is. And then after the fact, when we announced it through Cigar Aficionado in February of 11, there was all these theories that crowned heads, the C and the H stood for Condor Huber, or that crowned heads was another way of describing the cap on a cigar, like a triple cap as a crowned head. It, it all sounds good, but it wasn't really, it wasn't really <laughs> intentional. I just like the name. I'm also a big Chrome Hearts fan, and I thought that that was kind of a cool, the C and the H, Chrome Hearts, Crowned Heads, and I always liked mm -hmm. that brand. So, That's a good brand. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. If you grow up in L.A. or you're living around L.A., you know, you know Chrome Hearts very well. So, Yeah. So I feel like you did the thing that a ton of us that love cigars, you know, we all theorize and aspire. Man, it'd be really cool to make our own cigars. Mm. And you did it the hard way. Yeah, you put the time in. Worked at CAO. God, how many years were you at CAO? You were there for a while. I was there from April the 15th, 1996 until December the 10th. Or, yeah, December, no, December 17th, 2010. So, what, 14 years plus? 14 and a half years? Yeah. I kind of call yeah. it my undergrad degree, you know. That's really how I, I cut my teeth in the business. I mean, I started off at the very bottom of the, the, the ladder. I was the shipping manager, and I knew nothing about shipping. Um, but then I kind of finessed my way into more of a PR marketing angle. And within five months, I was a director of promotions and public relations and then kind of worked my way up from there. And we really, a really small group of us took CAO from literally the garage to the globe in that we were, I mean, man, we were pack, we were all packing cigars. We would drive to Jono, rest in peace. We would drive to his house where he kept the cigars. We would pack up somebody's truck, drive them back to this little office we had pack everything by hand, UPS manual log, all that. And, wow. um, and then like probably, what was it? Maybe 12, 11, 12 years later, um, it was sold to Henry Winterman's and then Henry Winterman's was acquired by STG and mm -hmm. it just, it blew up, you know, and it's just, it was, it was a hell of a ride. That is a hell of a ride. Mm -hmm. and Definitely. So then fast forward 2010, right? Yeah, 2010. We, you know, um, some of us kind of saw the end in sight when S2G got involved. And, you know, I started noticing things like there were guys that I didn't even recognize coming down to the hallway. I'm like, who are they? You know, didn't know these executives. And 
Then I had one day there was some dude came into my office and he was measuring artwork in my office and planters. And I was like, I asked Mike, I said, who's that? And they said, oh, they're measuring everything because they're going to take it all to Richmond, Virginia. Because that's where General Cigar is headquartered. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you kind of saw the writing on the wall. And um, I really, that last year was just such a a goof off year for us, really. I mean, we were just kind of having a good time knowing that, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, what's your last meal? Like before you get the death sentence, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so we were just having fun. And um, yeah, it was uh, a few of us were offered positions with general. I, I was offered in a very casual way. Like I remember being in the conference room with, with the president um, at that time of general. And he said, so yeah, Richmond's a really cool place. Would you like to live there? And I was like, no, <laughs> are, you, are you sure? Give it some time. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't need to give it any time. I'm not going. Forget it. I'm not, I'm not doing it. And, um, you know, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't know the next step. I mean, Mike Condor approached me middle of 2010 and said, Hey, you know, when this is over, do you want to do something together? And I was like, yeah. And that's literally how, I mean, it was never formalized, never talked about. It was just very much like kind of a nudge and a wink. And then I remember the last day, um, at CAO, I just literally took a huge trash can and took everything off my wall and out of my desk, press clippings, frames, press release stuff, all this stuff, threw it in a garbage can, walked out the door and never looked back. And four days later, it was like, shift the gear and let's figure out this next step. And that was it. I mean, I love those startup stories. I feel like yeah, most, of people, most of people I know that have been down that road and, and been through the startup process, it's like that. You just have that day where you're like, yep, this is what we're doing totally different and you just you just have faith in the process you know what i mean i just my philosophy during that whole year was just it literally i always told myself ride the wave to the shore just take the just what ride the surf the wave all the way to the shore see where it's going to take you and i just had faith in in, in god and just in, in the process of what's going to happen and i just i never worried about it and um it worked out yeah i mean it seems to be working you guys are making some amazing products thank you genuinely amazing product so i picked this one because it's the first of your cigars i've ever had that i ever smoked not personal jericho this this yeah, was yeah. the first i ever smoked was the jericho hill mm -hmm. uh, and did the little homework and i was like a cigar named after a, a reference from a johnny cash song yeah it's like all right well we're kind of mashing up worlds here a little bit and talk to me about that because i think there's something interesting that you guys are doing now with product names, with the flavor profiles you're putting out, you're really creating a boutique American cigar. Not with intention, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, again, I'd love to sit here and take credit and say this was all thought out well ahead in advance, but the only thing that really was thought out, to be perfectly honest with you, was the first, I would say, six to eight weeks before we were even talking about making cigars. Mike and I hold ourselves up in, a, in an office and just put white sheets of paper on, on the board and just started writing. Like we had to define what the philosophy was. And I thought at that time, I was like, God, this is monotonous, man. Are you kidding me? Let's just go make some products, right? But defining that philosophy, which is still on our website and writing it out and, and then having a foundation of which everything you would have to do in the future would adhere to that philosophy, that made it a world of difference because it, if it didn't line up with the philosophy and the values of, of the company, then we didn't do it. Um, but in terms of 
one thing I did make clear to Mike was like, look, I'm in, but I don't want to create CAO 2.0. I don't want to do the same thing. I want to do things differently. I want to do things my way, the way I always wanted to do them. And he's like, okay. And he gave me that, that leeway. And so my idea was always that crowned heads would be kind of like the musical band. And by not putting crowned heads on every cigar, you would have the creative latitude to create different albums that sounded different underneath that platform. And that's one thing that we've always done. So like four kicks was, looks completely different than Headley Grange tastes different than Headley Grange versus Jericho Hill versus La Imperiosa, Las Calaveras, all of that. So it gave me a lot of creative latitude to create whatever I wanted under that umbrella. And um, that was, that was exciting for me, you know, I mean, and in, in terms of like creating an American cigar or whatever, it's just, all I can chalk it up to is really that I've always felt like inspiration is all around us, right? It's just a matter of quieting your, your machine down and letting it come into you. You're not going to get inspiration. You just let it come in and let it flow. And I mean, some of the, the, the most, what I would think creative things I've ever done have happened like five minutes and it's just, like, it's done, right? Like what? Give me a for instance. <sighs> Three years ago, Altidus USA started courting us to create our riff of a Monte Cristo, mm -hmm. right? And so I was like, at first, I just kept shoving it off. Like, you can't, why are we going to do, I mean, I think at that time, only like Nestor Placencia and a couple of other like really big players had made their own Monte Cristo, but they were sincere about it. And so I was like, okay, this is really going to happen. Let's figure this out. This got to exist for a reason. What's going to be the story we're going to tell with this specific Monte Cristo by Crown Heads. And I was doing research, trying to get a connectivity between Nashville and, and Monte Cristo. And I couldn't find anything. One day, and this is a true story, I literally came up, I was in my yard doing yard work. And this, this story literally came to me to create the backstory to what became Ciudad de Musica. And it's on every insert that is in the box. And it's based, based upon a character, a fictitious character that comes to Nashville, um, makes guitars, and it's, it's a whole long drawn out story, but there's all these Easter eggs in it. And Suidad de Musica, the acronym CDM, also stands for Casa de Monte Cristo, which is where this was first launched, right? So, and then it also means Music City, which is Nashville. Which is Nashville. Right, so I literally wrote this story on my phone, and I still have the notes in here too, and I texted it to Mike, and he said, this is amazing, where did you find this? I said, it, it's, I've made it up. It just came to me. Like literally I wrote it in five minutes. He sends it to AUSA. They flip over it. They're like, this is brilliant. Da, 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 da. And to this day, I've never told the, the, the guy, Brad Winstead um, at Altidus USA. I never told him that that took me five minutes to create it, but that was I mean, it, it didn't took, take you five minutes. You wrote it, it literally in five took, minutes. It literally took me five minutes. And I still have this thing on the, I swear to God, I still have it on my notes somewhere in my phone. Where is it? This is in here somewhere. And I just, I keep all of these. But you said yeah, important May 28, 2017. I kid you not. This is it. This is the story. <laughs> I'm not, That's I don't awesome. BS you. I, I literally it. wrote it. And as it is, is how it appears on the this Instagram. how it appears. And it's, yeah, it was, let's see, it's, it's so about a guy named Francisco, which I was born in San Francisco. Came to the United States in 1935 at the age of 18, a little more than the clothes on his back. When he was a young boy, Francisco's father taught him about the magic of la guitarra, which means the guitar. Francisco loved his musical instrument, yada, 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 all this stuff. And it's like where he's, it, it goes on and says, today legend has it that Francisco's ashes were scattered 
over the area of Nashville that would later become known as the Gulch, which is where Casa de Monte Cristo is located. In an iconic twist of fate, the Gulch is today home to the Casa de Monte Cristo Cigar Shop and Lounge, which bears the same initial CDM as Francisco's beloved Ciudad de Musica. It's a, it's a whole long thing, but that's an example of, of what I'm talking about, like how inspiration is all around us and just got to like dumb it down and, and be quiet and it'll come in, you know? So I don't know. Yeah, man. It's just, it's same thing with Jericho Hill. It was like um, in our office, there is a literally six foot tall portrait of Johnny Cash. That's like this black and white shot that this photographer friend of ours, John Shiasan, who passed away, um, gifted us. And he shot all of these iconic people, uh, everybody from Shaquille O'Neal to like the Sultan of Dubai to like Johnny Cash. It's just an amazing body of work. So he gave us this, this portrait of Cash. Funny story about that, that portrait. It was shot in his house in Hendersonville about a year before he died. It's a very ominous portrait of him at that time, whatever. But I now live about eight miles from where Johnny Cash's house, where that shot was taken. It's so weird how things kind of come full circle. But the point of the story is he's looking at you constantly. And I'm like, I couldn't help but be influenced. I'm like, there's a guy that stood for authenticity and integrity in his work. And that's where I got the inspiration for Jericho Hill. And I started to listen to Folsom Prison in 1968 over and over and over and over. Great record. That one song, Cocaine Blues, was the launching pad for Jericho Hill. So everything in that brand from the sizes, the names, the, all of it has a, a connectivity to that album, especially to that song. So you said something that I think is super important. As you said, you just got to get quiet. And mm. left to inspiration. Absolutely. And I know for me, part of what's made my journey in, in the cigar world a thing is that this is a way for me to quiet the mind, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. focused. And in yoga, they say focus on the breath. And I, I do some yoga, but that's a whole different discussion. But mm-hmm. I'm really focused on the breath when I'm thinking about how a cigar tastes and I'm in that experience and fully right. am engulfed in it. And, and it gives me that step away from the day to day. What does that for you? Because, you know, to say you wrote it in five minutes, there's also a whole life of discipline around creating the space mm-hmm. I, that made you know, that five it, minutes possible. Yeah. I mean, like at that time, I was, it was a Sunday, I think, and I was doing yard work. And I just was like, I was listening to music on my headphones or whatever. And it, my mind just constantly goes. I mean, it's just the way I'm wired. And it's like, I'll wake up and things will be like, all these things are coming in. It sounds really weird, but that's just how it is in here. But it doesn't sound weird. <laughs> you know, another, it's, another example is a J.D. Howard Reserve, which a lot of people don't know about, but on the box, there's two numbers. There's 337 and 711. So the 337 was actually the time of the morning where I woke up and texted the idea to Mike Condor, the concept for the brand. And it was 3.37 in the morning. I just woke up. I'm like, blah, 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 send. And he, you know, like six hours later when he woke up, it was like, what are you doing texting me at 3? I said, man, I had this idea. It came to me in the middle of the night. And I just had to get it out. And he's like, well, I love the idea. And it was basically that inspiration for that <clears throat> was uh, Jesse James. Jesse James used to live in Nashville, Tennessee from 1875 to 1881. And during the time he resided here, his alias was J.D. Howard. Right. And so I had this whole idea like, okay, let's make this brand about 
J.D. Howard's Reserve, like this old, like rustic looking old West. And we researched the packaging in that era to, to replicate that look and that feel and that vibe. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, and it's just, I wish I could tell you, like, I sit there and I meditate for 20 minutes or something, but it just, it's always just coming into me and, you know, whether it be for hat designs or cigars or, or whatever, it just, it's a matter of just listening, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like listen to that inner voice and, and not everything is, is something that's viable or tangible, but a lot of things actually have to start that way. So what's, what's one of the things that you thought might be tangible that turned out to just not work? Cause I think we all have those stories, right? JD Howard reserve. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it you wasn't know, that a terribly popular cigar. Uh, it just, you know, man, it's weird. Uh, gosh, I don't know why that that one checked all the boxes. It's I a great so. blend. I think it's a great blend. You take, smoke it blonde. You're like, wow, what is this kind of thing? But it just never got traction. It never got traction. And there's been a couple in the portfolio that never really got the traction that I thought it deserved. JD is one of them. Um, Las Moreas is another one. Las Moreas does not get the credit that it's due. Yeah, thank you. It's a good cigar. <laughs> I think, I, you know, I always said it smokes like a, a Cuban cigar and performance-enhancing drugs. I mean, I think it, it, you know, and that cigar for us was like, uh, you know, that was all Garcia-grown tobacco. It was like all the tobaccos, wrapper, binder, filler, the whole nine yards was all grown by Pepin Garcia on his farms. And I'm like, That's this thing is, it's a winner, right? And I don't monster. know. I don't know what happened. I just don't know. I mean, we, we, I remember, I think we launched that in 16, 17 and we released it simultaneously at a trade show with Le Carême, which went on to do really well for us. That one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a great smoke. I, dude, I can't with a cup of coffee. That's one of the best cigars in the market. That and Luminosa are the two that I would pair with coffee immediately. This is phenomenal. They're great. Um, yeah, so those are two that kind of stand out that like I thought they would do better than what they did. They they it's just it's weird, man. It's like, you know, I remember talking to Steve Saka and Steve was like, you know, you just need one brand to stick, you know, and you need to get one out there that sticks, it stays. And I'm like, I don't think that that exists in this marketplace anymore. I think maybe 10, 15 years ago you could do that. But to me, I think the last new brand that came out that actually stuck was Tatuaje. And that was 2003. Yeah, it was 2003. So, you know, I think in this day and age with the way the market has shifted, it's like you just hope to get one or two that are in a rotation that people would, would, you know, but nobody, there's no one that's going to stick. That makes, that means you can, you know, a company can survive off of one brand. Everybody's got to like have multiples out there. So it's just a different market than it was. 10, 15 years ago. You've got some amazing stuff that's, that's come out. You've got some really great limited products that you put out. And you mentioned this thing about thinking about it like the band, right? And like you've mm -hmm. got a bunch of different albums and you can reinvent between albums. And you can have kind of a different vibe from album to album. Exactly. But then you've got like the mule kick that's an annual mm -hmm. that is a monster of a cigar. Thank you. Uh, you've got the uh, Las Calderas, the, this year's cigar looks phenomenal. So Thank you. talk to me about kind of the thinking behind as a boutique brand, as a guy who's committed to the authenticity, who's committed to we're going to do what we do and we hope you dig it, right? 
how does this super small batch once a year thing fit into that picture from from your thinking as the, the creative mind behind all this? It's necessary fun. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, ne- it's, it's necessary because it's just part of the whole blueprint that I kind of created in terms of like how we're going to generate revenue. But it's also so much fun for me to have that opportunity every year to recreate under the Las Calaveras brand, under the Mule Kick brand. And it's just, it's fun that people like look forward to it. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's so funny because I remember going back to when we just launched four kicks in November of 11. I I did a few of these kind of interviews, but they were, they were like written interviews or blogs and stuff like that. And I remember going on record saying, I don't want to do limited edition cigars. (laughs) I just want to create brands, you know? And I, the whole mule kick thing started it for us. Really, I mean that was 2012, and it was by accident again, another accident. Um, and I was at a trade show, and I was talking to Ernie Ernesto Perez Carrillo, and he said, "Hey, Johnny, because listen, I, I got some wrapper for Four Kicks. And that was the only brand we were doing at the time. He goes, but it's too dark. It's it's it, the grade is too dark for the for the rest of the, the the line. Do you want me to kind of put them at the bottom of the box? We can color color sort them like that, so they're not no and said, no 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 no. I want all the boxes to be." color sort of the way they're supposed to be. I said, I said, hang on to that wrapper and I'll figure out something to do with it. And then um, this is exactly how it happened. We were started talking later in the day about uh, working out and Ernie says, yeah, man, I'm working out with a trainer. He goes, you ever do these things called mule kicks? And I said, what? And he's, and he literally, this is Ernie, like, you know, 60 some odd years old back in the whatever. And he gets down on the trade show floor and he starts doing these kicking his legs up. And I'm just like, looking you know i was like what the i had a good laugh about it but then like we sat down on the couch and a minute later i was like i go i have an idea for that wrapper and that was it it was mule kick and i said let's change this one lee arrow we had into a little stronger lee arrow from asp and i said let's use that wrapper i said how much do you have as far as yield and he said i could do probably about five thousand cigars all right and that's how four kicks mule kick was born and we literally released it to just make use of that wrapper leaf that we had already purchased and acquired and it flew it, you know, it, it, I think we did 510 count boxes. So 5,000 cigars was it. Such a small run. Very small run. They were eight ninety five a piece retail. And then like three or four years later, they were on eBay for like $400 a box. True story. And I was, when I saw that happen, I was like, there's something here, you know, like, Okay, let's 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 push the envelope a little more. And then a couple of years later, when I, I got with the Garcias, Calaveras was the one of the things that I wanted to do with them right away, and that took off like you know crazy to the point where like this year I had to like pull back the production just to keep some sanity about it because the very first year we did Las Calaveras was seventy two thousand cigars, which I don't know if that sounds like a lot or not, but to us it was a lot. Sounds like a lot to me. I think so. 72,000 cigars. And then, um, you know, by 2017, 18, 19, that grew up, that grew to like over 140,000 cigars. So it's kind of, kind of hard to call 140,000 cigars a limited when, I mean, that could be a brand for somebody for the, for the whole year. So this year, I, even before the whole COVID thing happened, I was like, we're going to scale it back. We're going to start out hard reset. We're going to go back to 72,000 cigars. And let's start all over again. Let's just, this is getting out of control. And um, it's funny this year, even with the pandemic, we didn't know what to expect. 
and we sold out the first we did 500 samplers that sold out in two hours and then the other 3,000 boxes 72,000 cigars sold out in a day and a half so by the end of day two of selling these cigars they were gone before they even landed before anybody even smoked it yeah nobody's had them yet you guys are like that's part of what i love about your brand is you guys you guys sell cigars like Nike sells sneakers. Yeah, I wish. Dude, I mean, not at the same volume, but when you start talking about their limited release shoes and that sort yeah. of thing, I mean, it's those of us who are fans are frothing at the mouth for weeks with the, the press that the thing is coming out, and, and then it's like finger on the buy button hoping that you get a spot. Right. Yeah. It is like a Nike drop or a Supreme drop. You know, it's, yeah. it's funny. Not everything is like that, but Calaveras definitely this year blew me away. I was just, I mean, our goal behind the scenes was really if we could sell 2,500 boxes of the 3000 production in three weeks, we thought, okay, this would be a pretty good achievement. And, you know, <laughs> considering the, the business climate and COVID and all this and that. And then at the end of the second day, we're like, we're out. I'm like, Oh my God. I was like, I just, it blew me away. I was like, it's insane. So, I mean, that's, you never know. You don't. And cause you never know. You don't, you don't, you, you, you just, you serve up the dinner and hopefully everybody enjoys it. And, but you know, by the, the, the reality is like when, by the time that's already hit for me, the dish is already done and I'm already planning the next meal. And in the next meal was, you know, Capa Especial or, uh, Mil Diaz and you know it's you you're, I'm always already thinking you know Mil Diaz hasn't even landed and I'm so already Mil Diaz thinking, hasn't landed it's everywhere and I'm like, everybody's talking about it yes fortunately I mean it's you know I mean I can go on and on about the blend but it really is something unique it's it's for starters it, the taste profile is something that I don't think we've achieved to date until this cigar but we're also using tobaccos in there you know we it's just, I, you know, I just want, I'm excited for people to try it because I could tell you it tastes like, you know, honey nut Cheerios or whatever, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's all subjective. It's all up to the end user, right? So I know that what I like to smoke, and I think this cigar is beyond exceptional. I think it's amazing. I mean, we're using tobaccos in there that we have not used before. That's part of it. Um, we're using some Peruvian Pelo de Oro in there, which is it lends a that whole tobacco day. is having a moment. Yeah, it always has. I mean, it's really something special. Um, we're using some Costa Rican tobaccos in the filler that we haven't used before. And I will say that the, the people at uh, Tobaccalera Pichar, though, you know, they're, they're hitting it out of the park, in my opinion. I mean, I just smoked today. I just smoked uh, the Luciano the Dreamer, which is another one of these cigars everybody's buzzing about. And that cigar blew me away. I was like, good Lord, this is really good. I mean, that... That's a whole nother story, but we started off with them with Juarez. Juarez was yeah, what Juarez is a great cigar. I, I it was. Cigar. Yeah, that started off two years ago, three years ago, something like that, um, as a potential uh, exclusive for Germany. Our German distributor wanted me to do an exclusive because we have a pretty good following there. Wanted us to do a cigar for them. And I had sent them samples, like three or four different blends, over three or four different months and they they kept no 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 i'm like geez I, what do you want and they said the guy said well i want something that smokes like jericho hill i'm like okay hold on so i went back to tobacco therapy charlo because we've been messing with some blends in the background i said i think i might have an opportunity 
um, to start doing business. It's a small thing, but it's a German exclusive. Can you do your riff on Juarez? They sent it to me. I'm like, this thing is amazing. Sent it to Germany. Germany. Uh, I was like, all right. Germany, back, backtrack. That's it. Back burner. And then about six months later, we had an opportunity uh, with Thompson Cigar. Before they were acquired by Cigars International, they approached Mike and said, hey, we would love to do an exclusive for the catalog with you guys. Mike comes to me. Do you have anything in the works that you think you could fit in here? I'm like, well, I got this blend that I've been working on for Germany that I think is money. But they passed on it. And he said, all right, well, let's see what we can turn it into. So I kind of did it as a riff on our own Jericho Hill. I was like, let's make the poor man's Jericho Hill. And that's where Juarez was born. And we gave it to Thompson. They sat on it um, for October to about eight months. And then we were ready to go to the trade show in, uh, was this 18, 19? I can't keep track of the years. And I said, all right, let's, let's take Juarez. We didn't sign an exclusivity agreement. Let's just take it. They're not doing anything with it. I think this cigar is really exceptional. And so we went to the trade show with a bunch of Juarez samples and no marketing collateral. And my instructions to the team was give it to your retailer, tell them to smoke it. After they smoked it, tell them the price and then see how many they want. And it took off. And it's, yeah. it's been one of our top sellers ever since. Um, and so that, you know, that, that led the way to Mil Diaz. And Mil Diaz is one of the first blends that we started working on with Pichardo three years ago. And we were just playing. It's not like we took literally a thousand days of constant work on this thing, but we would like do a sample. Okay, this is really good, but it's kind of aggressive. All right, let's dumb this down a little bit. Let's play with it. And a couple months later, we try something else. Couple months. So finally, when we got, it was earlier this year, um, and when I got the, the final sample, that I became the final sample, I was like, wow, this, this is something. This is, we got something here. And, um, and then I had to figure out the, the branding and the, the, the presentation and all that kind of stuff. So from July 13th of this year to the 27th, we did these traveling road shows mm -hmm. with um, Rocky Patel, Oliva Cigar, and Alec Bradley. So we were like the, the little kid on the block with these big dogs. And we yeah, went... also the one making the best cigars out of the bunch. You know, <laughs> uh, that's, I appreciate you saying so. Um, and we literally, I mean, our guys, God bless them, they traveled planes, trains, and automobiles to do all these different cities. There, We did like Naples, Indianapolis, um, Kansas City, Chicago, uh, what else? Uh, Connecticut. There was one in Connecticut. There was one in two in Philadelphia. It was like 10 cities in like 14 days or something like that. Yeah, you guys were humping. I mean, we, they were. I, mean, I, reality, I can't. Right? I can't take any credit for that because I didn't. I didn't do any of the shows, but our all the sales guys did. And um, we went there obviously to to promote the new releases that we would have normally promoted had the PCA gone on. And Mel Diaz was the was the big you know the big ticket, and we had samples ready. And it was really one of those things where like the feedback I was getting from our guys was even people that didn't want to like it. They wanted to hate it. They wanted to doubt. They were like, they'd smoke it and they'd be like, all right, I got to have this. I got to order it. And that made me feel good because I know there's a lot of, even after doing this for nine years, there's still a lot of people that are like not hundred percent on board that still have doubts that still hate whatever. And it's, it's always nice to prove those guys wrong. 
switch gears on you. Sure. You did a collabo with this quirky little, I'll call them up and coming internet company for some wristwatches. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Undone. Sure. Yeah. And I think there's something neat about both what they're doing and what you're doing. And I imagine you feel the same. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done it. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Kind of how that, how'd that I got. I got, you know, I was always in, into watches a little bit, not as much as hats, but because uh, I, I can't afford the watches that I could afford with the hats. But yeah, Right. Um, yeah, I, I have yeah. a lot more hats than I have watches. I understand. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, and, but I really got into the whole orological history of all this stuff. I started watching YouTube videos and stuff and, and really getting into watches and the movements and, and I'm like crowned heads. Okay. There's a crown on the watch. And I'm like, this is kind of a good play again. And, uh, a good friend who started out as a customer of ours, um, was, was owns a jewelry store in Wyoming gentleman by the name of Patrick Larkin. And he and I got to be fast friends and, um, he did uh, a customized Seiko turtle for me with the crown heads logo on it. And, um, yeah, I'm not wearing it right now, but, um, and I was like, oh, this is cool. So we, you know, it's, did that and then I, I saw this company undone that you could customize watches you know and i was like interesting so i reached out to them and um they reached out to me and i, I think I, the first one i did was their tropical urban or something like that as a riff on the omega speedmaster the speedmaster riff yeah 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 and um i did that with the logo and i got it for all of our guys and gifted it to all of our our, our sales reps and then I think after that, did a couple more. I did another one with the California dials, green Roman numerals and regular Arabic numerals. Um, gifted that to the guys this last year. And then I did a couple of one-offs with them. One with the Las Calaveras for 2019. And then what's the last one I did? Oh, I just did one that looked like a Newman Daytona kind of a, of a vibe. And that I made three pieces. I made one for myself mike and ernesto and they're all engraved so it's just fun i mean it's like you know i I get a lot of dms about those watches when i post it and they're like oh you know where are these and how can i get one and and, you know for the most part they're gifts for like our team so i want them to feel special but the other side of that coin is like who's really going to pay for it right who's going to buy that you know you might be surprised i don't know anybody you got all these companies out there that are giving away their ball caps i'm just saying (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with the cap. I get, do you know how many like fire emojis I get when I put a post a cap, you know, like, I mean, you get a bunch of them from me and I, every time well, you're like, yeah, it's sold out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, that, that happens, but no, I just did one like last week and all these people were asking me about this hat and I'm like, it was for sale like last year, but nobody really, um, hold on one second. Yeah. No, let's take it. No, it's, it's my vet. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, and when it's for sale, it's like, you know, it's like, who bought, nobody buys it. But then when it's like not for sale, it's not available. All of a sudden everybody wants it. And it's like, you know, I'm sorry. It is what it is, but the watch is so, just a fun, fun adjunct, another creative outlet. Well, I mean, and I think that's an interesting overlap, right? Because I think that, and, and I'm doing this thing that maybe I battled with a little bit. I feel like in the cigar world, you guys talk about watches and talk about cars and talk about all that bullshit right because mm-hmm. it's it's interesting right uh, but i think there's kind of a 
a manufactured scarcity in the watch world and mm -hmm. you know that that whole finding a watch that's hard to find thing that people are into you guys do this phenomenal job of again staying authentic it doesn't feel like you're trying to force the market um, it doesn't feel like you're trying to require anybody to to be engaged at that level uh, is that something that you've thought about is that something that when you're making different products you're thinking about how are you thinking about the consumer how are you thinking about what you want to say what's what's that like I think you, you nailed it though. I mean, going back to that philosophy, two of the pillars were authenticity and integrity. And I, to me, it's like, you just got to be yourself. I mean, everybody else is taken. You can't be anybody else but yourself. Right. I mean, I, I live by that model, but so if it, if it, if, it, if it's something I'm into, I'm going to put it out there. And, and if somebody else vibes with it, that's great. If they don't, that's fine too. But I just want to, it's for me, it's a necessity to put that creative energy out there into the universe, so to speak. And, you know, if people get it, that's, that's wonderful. Come along for the ride. If they don't, you know, there's, there's plenty of other things out there. So I, I don't do anything specifically to, to garner more market share or to gain more like likes or whatever. And it's just, this is who I am. This is who we are. And, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing, really. But it's authentic. It's not, you know, I'm not trying to perpetrate myself as anything that I'm not. When people say, oh, you made this. And I'm like, no, 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 I didn't make anything. You know, I'm, 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 very very clear and transparent about giving credit to the people that grow the tobaccos that manufacture the, the cigars that those are the, the heroes right i'm just the guy that validates it and with their help i can kind of take something from here to the shelf i'm just uh what is what does pete call it pete johnson has a name for it it's a, a negotiant or something like that and i think that was a good description for what we do you know I'm, i couldn't roll a cigar if you put everything in front of me right now it would look terrible i don't make cigars <laughs> true yeah i mean what you you your palate though i mean you, you make some phenomenal decisions about cigars you've creative directed some phenomenal cigars yeah and that you nailed it it's a creative directive thing it, it's like there's it's like making an album it's like i'm more of the of the rick rubin than i am the the jay-z i'm not really the artist that that is is doing it, but I'm the guy behind the scenes that's kind of saying, okay, let's put a little bit more here, a little bit less there, bring this up, bring that down. It should look like this. It should feel like this. It should sound like this. It should taste like this. I'm kind of like, that's how I view myself. I kind of view myself more like the creative director or a music producer as opposed to an artist. There's probably some artistry in that, but I think, Absolutely. you know, look, I mean, to me, I mean, we're working with four factories right now. We're working with Ernesto Perez Carrillo, Hall of Fame. The Garcias, Hall of Fame legend, Drew Estate, whole nother planet, and then Tobacco Larry Pichardo. So I'm working with four different, and if I can produce albums with each of those four artists and make it sound good and make it successful, then I think there's something to be said for that as opposed to just making an album with the same person over and over and over. Then it starts to sound the same. It starts to look the same. There's more creativity in working with different, different people, I think. I think so. I mean, it shows in the line you've got. There are no two of your cigars are alike. True. There's, and, and what's interesting to me is I think, you know, I'm a huge Pepin fan. Huge. As am I. Uh, <laughs> but there's like a through line in their cigars. You know, there's, there's some consistency. You definitely, like you get the Dumpim Garcia original blue, and it's a little more full-bodied, a little more aggressive than the stuff you get in the Mind of the Father line. But 
there's still a through line from cigar to cigar that, that you can tell that it's kind of the same creative minds behind it. And, mm-hmm. and it's super consistent. Correct. Quality-wise, there's definitely a through line in your cigars. But to a lot of people I know, they're not huge, huge cigar smokers, but they're a casual fan. If I hand them one thing from your line and then the next cigar hand them something else from your line, They'd be like, oh my God, this is totally different. What is this? And I, I honor that, you know, that risk taking and, and that kind of creative behavior. That's super interesting to me because I don't think that a lot of people in the cigar world trust their consumer that much. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to stick with you through that many, you know, that kind of different vibe from product right. to product. And I, I think from that perspective, we try to, I mean, obviously I'm not going to make the same thing and it's redundant. I don't want anything to compete with itself within the portfolio, but we try to create things um, flavor wise that, that appeal to different smokers. So like if you, if somebody's brand new to cigars and, and it's their first experience, I could say, I can point them towards a Luminosa or I can point them towards a four kicks. If somebody has been smoking for a while and their palate is just, blown out and they need something that really kind of like has a lot going on. All right. I'll give them a La Imperial set, you know, or, or Jericho Hill or, or Juarez or whatever. So, I mean, we've got different weapons in the arsenal that all, you know, do different things. And that's, that, that is intentional for sure. I really appreciate your time today and, and we're running kind of towards the end of, of what we had set up. So thank you I'm so here much. As long as, so as, long as, you, as long as you'll have me, I'm, I'm here. Sure. I'm good. Oh, dude, you're, you're, you're amazing. I mean, I think no. the only things, the only other thing I would want to hear and, and mm-hmm. that I think hopefully our, our listeners will want to hear is what are you smoking right now that you're super excited about? This guy. <laughs> I really, I mean, as I, as I started off your show with, I'm, I'm not here to plug anything, right? Oh, no, no, I, no, you, that's the honest, honest answer. Um, hand to God, I've been smoking a ton of Mildeus. Um, that blend in particular, uh, not because I have to anymore, because it's it's getting dressed and it's going to be ready to go in a few weeks, but just because I enjoy that cigar so much right now, it, I really do. Um, you know, I've been smoking. I started off smoking the Edmundo because that was the size that was going to be the the pre-release samples, and that's what what's out there. If you see on Instagram, that's the the factory samples. But I mean, there's some sleepers in there, like the double Robusto, which is like a six and three eighths by 50 that I just think is so elegant and so good. Um, the green size. You know, all, all four of its holes are, are great. Um, what was that noise? That uh, I think that's probably the furniture spoofer guy in the background. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think there's a truck showing up at my house right now. All right. Um, yeah. So. And then in today, I actually I smoked a, um, I had them roll a, a Mareva which is a five and an eighth by 42 size. It's like a classic Cuban Corona. I had them roll Mildias in that blend, in that size, that blend in that size. And I've just been like infatuated with it. It's just like the perfect size for me. So, you know, I've already got the wheels turning. What can we do with, with a, you know, a Mareva, maybe a limited edition cabinet box coming up, you know, end of the year or something like that. But that's what I've been smoking. Um, for them almost like exclusively um, I, before Calaveras dropped in July in May, June, I was smoking some, some Calaveras. Um, but um, being home, it's, it's interesting because when I'm in the office, I mean, I literally have my pick of anything to smoke. I mean, I could smoke, you name it. I mean, 
gosh, whatever, stuff from the archives, stuff in current production, stuff them spot checking on current production, what have you. But being home, if I want to smoke something, like I've got to like contact Adam at the office and say, hey, can you send me X, Y, and Z? I need to smoke that this week. And that's what he's been sending me is, uh, is you know, this. So. so, I mean, you're making your own cigars or, or you're, you're uh, as, as you said, you're creative directing your own cigars. There you go. And yeah. I think there's a ton of opportunity there and that's great. Do you get outside of your own brand? Do you, do you still smoke a bunch of other stuff that's in the market? Not just as a research thing, but as a fan. As a cigar yes. guy, is there stuff that you still gravitate towards? 100%. 100%. I love, I've always been a fan of what Pete does, Tatuaje. Um, I mean, shoot, I was like one of the first guys that, that smoked the unbanded. I can't remember what, I think he had Cazadores he was handing out maybe, but it was the 2003, it was the RTDA at that time. It wasn't IPCPR, it wasn't PCA, it was called the RTDA. 2003, it was in Nashville, Tennessee. I was still a CAO, obviously. And Pete and I had been friends since 96. And so when I saw him on the floor, I'm like, we always had the same routine. Like, what's good out there? What should, what I, what should I smoke? Because we were both cigar geeks. And um, he had this little cabinet box with unbanded cigars. And he says, here, try this. I said, what is this? He's like, this is my cigar. It's called Tatuaje. And I remember as soon as I lit it up, I'm like, if you can do this on a consistent basis, you're going to change the game. And he did. I mean, he, and he did. He completely changed the game. I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for Pete Johnson on a lot of, a lot of different levels. Um, so I, I, I'm still a fan of what he does. Um, I'm a big fan of what Dion's doing. With, with Illusion, I mean, good Illusion, I think it's a phenomenal cigar. Right? He is, if there was a scientist in our in our industry, it's it's Dion. He is amazing. He, I have a lot of respect for that cat. A lot of respect for him. Um, his Fumé de Amor, I think, flies under the radar, but I think that's a beautiful blend. But it, I think his his crowning jewel is probably Epernay. Um, Epernay's amazing. Epernay is great. Uh, a fan of Nick Malillo. Uh, I've known Nick for a long time, so I like what he's doing. Um, of course, Willie Herrera and my friends at Drew Estate, I'm always enamored with whatever they do. Um, you know, for the most part, like, you know, I smoke pretty much everything I can get my hands on. I'll ask the reps to bring me something or send me something or whatever, and I'm always trying new stuff as as a fan more than anything, really. Not to try yeah, new. You got into this as a cigar geek. Like you did Completely. Yeah. Still am. Still am. I was, I was the guy back in like 95 that was like saving up his, his money and going into the tobacco store and tobacconist and with my little cigar fishing magazine, do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? And I would try to, I could probably afford like three or four cigars, you know, and I'd go home and I'd smoke them and I'd take notes and paste the bands in the, in the booklets. <clears throat> I was, that's, that was, that was me, man. Absolutely. And I'm still that guy to this day, really. I'm, I'm still a big fan of the industry and still a fan of cigars. I get geeked out about, about stuff. So it, otherwise, such, I mean, it'd be hard to do. It's such an amazing industry because you've got, uh, outside of music, maybe beer, maybe wine. There, there are not so many industries where you get this much new product every year. Yeah, that's true. And you've got people that are consistently pushing the envelope and pushing your creativity and trying to come up with something unique and then from such a small chunk of the world. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's a fascinating business and it's what drew me to it 24 years ago was that it's one of the few things that, that to this day, that one of the few consumables that's made completely by hand, no machinery, right? It's grown from the soil, from a seed to a plant 
you've got the the whole you know harvesting cultivating fermentation you've got you know all kinds of different components to to the product but all done by hand like i used to be in the wine into wine big time and i started to research that industry too because that was a potential avenue i was thinking of going down and i come to find out there's a lot of machinery in in winemaking yeah and i was just like "Eh, not so much so but cigars there is definitely a romance to to that product i mean they're made the same way today for the most part than they were 100 years ago so that's what i love about it. i love the tradition i love the romance i love the artistry i mean that's what gets me going and just being able to be a, a creative component in that wheel it's like that's i mean it's so fun for me it really is still to this day you're 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 doing like i said what a lot of us that are you know cigar geeks just dream about and and but to, to, see, it, here's the difference carl it's like the one guy that tries it and tries to do it instead of dream about it is the guy that usually ends up being successful at it because if you take 100 people and you say what is your dream and they're like well, i want to be this but i can never do that that guy's out of the list you know and huh. you can go through there's one guy in that room that's stupid enough like me that's naive enough to say i can do it and you go for it and your competition is is a lot less because most people don't think they can do it you can oh, yeah. do it and that that was the whole mantra behind crown heads was carve your own path to this day it's like this is an example of how you can create your own reality right i mean here i mean i'm sitting here outside of nashville i'm still running a cigar company nine years later and i'm not cuban heritage i'm just you know a bonehead kind of and if I can do it, I want to be that inspiration for the guy that not necessarily wants to get in the cigar business, but says, I want to make my own whiskey or I want to make my own wine or I want to make my own line of clothing or, or whatever. Just the only thing holding you back is yourself. You should go for it. Life is short. You know, you don't know until you try. And that was, that's what I want to, that's the legacy that I want to leave behind is that inspire people to get out of the comfort zone, create what they want to create, do what they want to do. Don't be, a slave to a life that you you're you don't necessarily love so what keeps that what keeps that fire burning for you to stay out of your comfort zone and and to go try new stuff and do the things that you want to do instead of just letting life happen because i i, I don't know any other way to live i'll be honest with you i just don't i don't know if i would didn't have that creative outlet i i would be miserable i think you know I, my my family is the most important thing to me and i they are the reason why i do this but that's the end result. But for me to be who I'm, who I am, who I'm wired to be, I have to constantly be creating something. I got to have some sort of creative outlet every day, whether it be cigars, hats, clothing, whatever it is. It's, it's that's what keeps me going, you know. And and I, you design the hats and the bands yourself. Do you have people to do that for you? I mean, how how I, engaged in that part of the creative work? I'm very engaged in it. I, I work with, with graphic people that are much more talented than I am to bring what's here to, in my head to fruition. Like I could, I'll say, okay, look, here's the jumping off point. I'm, this is my inspiration. Let's work on this from, you know, sketch something out or whatever. But I, I don't know anything about, I don't even know Photoshop. I don't know any of that stuff. So I'm fortunate that I can work with some talented graphics people that can kind of bring the idea to fruition, but all the ideas come from, from, from me, from the, you know, there's the only, the only project that we've ever done 
where I had zero creative input um, was a store exclusive that I regret doing to this day. And the particular store owner had this concept that he wanted to do for his store, but he wanted to run the whole show. He's like, look, I'm going to buy 5,000 scars, but this is how I want the box to look. This is how I want to bet that. And at that time, I don't know why I, I, I signed off my fine, and whatever you can do what you want to do. And it just came out. Like if you remember those, those milk cartons that, that were white and just said milk and blue letters. Yeah. Generic. Yeah, that's how this generic. product, this, this is how this product ended up. And to this day, like I don't even talk to that, that store owner. He's completely persona non grata with me, but um, for a lot of other reasons, I'll say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's rarely yeah, one thing. That was the only time every other time, everything from four kicks all the way up to Mel Diaz has been kind of like, whether it worked or not, it's, it's been my fault. <laughs> so, yeah. Hats, well, same thing, hats, you know, so, I mean, it is what it is. It's just a constant creative output. So it's fun though. It's a good, fun. it's a good life. I really appreciate you taking the time today. I'm going to take necessary pleasure. fun with me. That's a good one. I'm, I'm keeping that. My pleasure. You, you did a great job and you're doing a great job and, uh, I like your vibe, man. Thanks, man. I, I greatly cool. appreciate it. Yeah. I, I look forward to, you know, getting this out for folks to hear. I think, sure. you know, I've been involved in the entrepreneurship space for a long time. I've owned my own company for a dozen years doing marketing and, and business development consulting. Nice. And a huge part of my life has been engaged with startups and working okay. with primarily uh, tech startups that have been involved regionally with tech stars and done startup weekends and all of that stuff. And I think that's, it's so rare that people hear like, okay, go try it. Yeah. See what happens. It, yeah. it might work. And hundred percent. Like everybody gives you the thousand reasons why your idea won't work. And I mean, at the but same you know time what? for the folks that I coach, I try to be like, well, have you thought about this? But for the most part, I feel like more of us need to just say, go be crazy and see what happens. Because here's the worst thing is to be like, sitting on the other side of it you're like on your deathbed or something going wow what if what if like, not know i would rather try and fail and know than to always wonder what if i had done this or that what if i'd followed that dream it's just that would be just aggravation to me like i couldn't oh, be soul crushing exactly exactly and that's that's my thing it's like it's better to try and fail than to, to just sit there and wonder and I think, unfortunately, like I've, I've met a lot of people that have done that, just that, that same thing where like they just, I don't know, it's a, it's a good, well, why don't you just do it, you know? And I'll tell you, I, I owe 95% of that philosophy to John O. Oskiner. Um wow. rest in peace. I mean, John O. literally, he was the founder of CAO, obviously, yeah. and, you know, he gave me my chance, not only at creating a career, but the things that he instilled in everybody that worked around him were lessons that were just blew me it was like his big thing was make it happen he was that was his whole mantra make it happen like the only he would tell us the only person that's holding it, you back is yourself and that sounds like pretty you know common now but you know 24 years ago nobody was thinking like that really that. you know a perfect example like you know with those literally like four of us at cao at the time and this the sopranos were on hbo and Somebody came into the office and said, oh, they're, they're starting to smoke cigars on HBO, The Sopranos. A lot of people are noticing that. What do they smoke? And, and somebody suggested, why, why don't we get our cigars on, on HBO? 
on Sopranos. And Jono's re- response was, fine, make it happen. And we did. And you did. did. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just like, okay. You know, I didn't think like, oh, man, this is never going to work. And this is never going to, you know, there's, oh, God, there's so many other brands that are bigger than us. And we were like small. And I remember like I had this, there was a, a property master in L.A. that had been like sending us these, you know, proposition emails like X amount of money and we'll put you in five different places. Da, 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 da. And I just, when he said, make it happen, I picked up the phone. And I said, all right, look, what would it be worth if you got our products on the Sopranos only just one show? I don't need to be on any movie or anything. I just want one show. And that's it. And we negotiated a deal, got the cigars on there. The following season, I had a relationship with the prop master and I was able to just send cigars directly without having to pay to play. And then that led to like, um, uh, CAO, the Sopranos edition, HBO. The Sopranos edition, edition cigar, yeah. Yeah, so all those little episodes just kind of proved to me that, yeah, you can make things happen. You can create your own reality, so to speak. So I, mean, I think I, we're all I, wired to. I think a lot of us just get it beaten out of us or, or, or you know, live in fear of, of losing that's a good it. paying job. Like that's it. Well, see, I never had a good paying job, so I had nothing to lose, man. I was just like... <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I had some of the worst, when I lived in LA, I had some of the worst jobs. So I, everything that I do today, I appreciate with even more gratitude because you try telemarketing dog shampoo to pet stores or indoor tanning products to tanning salons. Oh my God. Dude, you went through it, man. I did. I did. I lived in LA and I was like, there were weeks where like, it was like, you know, typical hard luck story. There, there were weeks where like, I'd be living on a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. But I was, you know what I mean? But I was happy. I was living off of Melrose and having a good time and being young and fun. But yeah, man, I, I, I paid my dues for sure. Even when I got, even when I got my gig in, at CAO, it wasn't paying me an, enough money to really make it. So like, I was still doing like side gigs. I was like working at Blockbuster Video on the weekends and at nights. Wearing the blue polo with a name tag. With the name tag? Yes. <laughs> True story. Oh, oh man. When's the last time you wore a pair of khakis? <laughs> oh, God. Do Vans khaki shorts count? I don't think no. so. But <laughs> no. No. I, I don't. I don't. I can't remember, to be perfectly honest with you. I guess the, the question is, when's the last time I wore a collared shirt? Ooh. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, I remember, like, when I met my father-in-law 10 years ago or something, he would, he would say, you know, when we started the business, he's, he would see the way I was dressing and uh, he's like, you're a business owner. You need to, you need to dress like a, a businessman. And I said, uh, Jim, I said, I'll do respect. I work my butt off so I could dress however I want. And I said, the fact that I don't have to dress like a businessman is success to me. And he's like, so now he doesn't, you know, it's like, whatever. You just said the most important thing, I think in, in the whole game, like all the other stuff aside, when did you know that? When did I know what? That the fact that you don't have to dress like a business owner was success to you. Like, I feel like a lot of people have no idea what that picture is. They're like, well, I'm going to be successful. They never paint the picture of what that looks like. I knew that I had a collection of neckties. That, I mean, one of my gigs in LA before I left uh, LA, I worked for an entertainment business manager. And he had some pretty high profile clients, a lot of like producers, directors in the entertainment industry. And I mean, we were just like glorified bookkeepers and I just added things and do whatever. I hated the job and I was making seven bucks an hour, but he insisted that we wear ties every day. Jesus. 
And I mean, as soon as I, I got out of that, I literally said, you know what? I'm never doing that again. That's not me. And I literally took all these cheap neckties that I had accumulated, threw them in a bag, gave them to Goodwill. I said, I'm never going to wear a tie again. And I was like, that was the, when I put my, the stake in the ground. I said, this is, I'm going to be who I want to be and I'm going to do what I want to do and it's going to be my way. And that was it. That was, and to this day, like, you know, even if I go to a trade show and stuff, I'll show up in jeans and a t-shirt, not out of disrespect or anything, but just because that's who I am. This is, I'm not trying to pretend to be somebody I'm not. And like I told my father-in-law, it's like, you work hard so you can create your own space, not so you can live in somebody else's. And I just, I refuse. I'm not, the corporate thing is, and that was another reason why, like, I got all my, I, I inked my hands and I'm like, cause I'm never going to get a job working for anybody else. Knock on wood. <laughs> or die trying. So <laughs> I mean and the world has changed, right? Like I remember I remember back in the day when it was like you had to be clean cut, had to have that that acceptable corporate yeah. image kind of thing. And now you've got some of the biggest brands in the world and all of their brand spokespeople are inked up I know all kinds of alternative reality, alternative, which I don't even know what the hell that means anymore. Uh, I, know. I know. I think, I think young people today have it great. I mean, they don't have to conform to a certain, you know what I mean? Like when I was coming up, that was true. You had to look and, or for like, I'll give you the, for instance, like when uh, in 96, when I met Pete Johnson at the trade show in Cincinnati for the first, the reason why we connected was because we were like the only two guys in the entire building that had tattoos. Like he had, he had tattoos and like, I had a couple down here already and we kind of, you know, kind of clicked like that. And he's like, Hey, yeah, yeah, what's up? And I'm, he was from LA. I had lived in LA. And, and at that time it was like, it was like kind of almost like you were the rebels, you were the outsiders. And now shoot, I mean, you're, you're more of a rebel to not have any tattoos. You know, it's like, I watch some of these cooking shows, like every chef in America has got full sleeves of tattoos. Full sleeves. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now it's like people are, face tattoos are commonplace so yeah people nowadays have it pretty good because you don't have to conform to that bs but there was a lot of pressure back when i started to look a certain way or have your hair a certain way or do whatever and i'm like bump that i'm not i'm not gonna do it so i'm doing it not doing it uh, i'm geeked to see the continued work well i look forward to to sharing this uh this interview with with some other folks i think that Thank you, man. I couldn't be happier than to hear your story about you know, going from $7 an hour in, in a cheap necktie that you hated trying to pitch you know, shampoo, puppy shampoo. to Dog shampoo. It was, it was called Mr. Crystal's Dog Shampoo. And we were like in Cuba. Dude, they would give you like this book of like pet shop owners to call, you know? It was like telemarketing. And I was just like, damn, I don't even know if they have telemarketers anymore, you know? I don't think you can I don't do know, that. Man. I did. I did my time. I, I did some telemarketing back in the day. And, oh God! Yeah, I had a gig when I first started my company uh, and I first started consulting. It was that same deal. I was still working side gigs to to mm -hmm. you know, keep the cash flow rolling while we were getting yep. the business going. And I had this horrible gig one year for a heating and air contracting company. Oh my and god! I stood in the entrance of a Home Depot for an entire winter, making popcorn <laughs> and giving people free popcorn and wow. entering them to win a free furnace. And it was like during the day, I'm living this life, building my you know, 
brand consulting company, working with really interesting companies talking about cool yeah. products. And at night, I'm standing in front of the Home Depot, and it's uh, it was when they launched. Home Depot was promoing some wireless speakers for the first time. They weren't even Bluetooth. I don't know what the heck they were. But they were wireless speakers, and to promote it, they had a TV playing Finding Nemo on a loop. Oh my God! I bet you can't watch that movie to this day. I can't watch that movie, right? Like that. that movie gives me <laughs> terrible flashbacks. But yeah, so we'd, we'd, I'd stand there and collect all of these things, and then I was the guy one yeah. night a week that would go sit in a cubicle and call all of these people back and try to set up somebody to go and like check out their furnace and see if they needed a new one. And that whole time I was like, I am so glad that this is a short-term reality for me because this is somebody's life. But now, I mean, in retrospect, you wouldn't change it probably. That's like a badge of honor. Like you could say, Hey, I did this to get to this, you know, oh, no and question. that's, that's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, I mean, I think that that's, we kind of wear those experiences like a, like a badge of honor in, in, in essence that, you know, if, if, if it comes easy to you, then it, it doesn't mean as much, but when you get there, then you can look back and say, yeah, I did that gig at Home Depot and you know, whatever. It's yeah. good, man. Life lessons. I mean, absolutely. the sunshine's not worth it if it's never cloudy. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And it's always darkest before the dawn too. I got a million of those things, man. I, I've Dude. done a, yeah. I mean, plethora of stuff. You know, when you decide to start putting out the, the, the your equivalent of the successories posters, remember those things? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I mean, you know, it's like my biggest thing, my biggest piece of advice that I give my, my son, who's now 19, and then we've got a daughter who's five. And the only thing that I want to instill in them is like when I was coming up, like, you know, your parents would always be like, be a doctor or a lawyer. I was like, what? And, I'm telling my kids, be what you came here for, because I think everybody came here for a reason. You have to figure that out. That's our life lesson. Figure out what you're here for and do it. Don't do something that you think will be good. Don't chase money. Don't chase this. Don't chase. Be, figure out who you are, why you're here, and go for it and do it. And I think that's the biggest gift that somebody could, could best advice anybody can give anybody. Be what you came here for. Good. You know, I've never pressured my, my son to, to go in any different direction. I just didn't say come in the cigar business. I'm like, figure it out, man. This is what your life is going to be about, figuring out what you came here for and be it. I mean, I don't think there are many people as qualified to say that as you. By luck. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that always the case? Like it's There's a little bit of it. There's a little bit of it. But a lot of it is just, you know, being, like I said, like being ignorant to the potential that you're going to fail. Just keep blinders on and just go for it. And you, your odds are pretty good, I think. I really do. I really do think so. And I think that if you, what you can, again, I'm sounding like one of these posters, but I've always, one of my things is what you can conceive and believe you will achieve. A lot, I'm a big proponent of visualization big proponent of of just positive thinking good vibes you know and if it doesn't work it out, works it, still, it does work it absolutely works it works put that out there it works 100 percent. well when's the, when's the last time you were like i really wish i could talk to somebody who was in a bad mood today no like i never wake up thinking that no exactly <laughs> exactly you, and you got to surround yourself with like-minded people you know you got to surround yourself with people that are it helps to surround yourself with people that are already there so you can see what it took to get there. Yeah, yeah, you learn some things. The friction is less. Yes. No, yes. I mean, I think when you're around people who 
primary response is going to be, that sounds cool. Go do that. Mm-hmm. The barriers to going to do something a whole lot lower than being exactly. surrounded by people whose response is like, well, how, why, why, what do you mean? Right. You know? Right. And then hopefully if you could be positive, you can influence those people that they start to change their way of thinking so that they're like, hmm, maybe they, maybe I should do try this or, you know, whatever. You know, whatever we can do to make the world a better place and all that, for sure. That's all we can hope for. Yes. You know? Absolutely, man. I, I can imagine a world where 85% of the workforce is, is doing something that fuels who they are instead of something that, that feeds That you have to today. do. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I've had jobs where I hated it. You know, where like you, you, you wake up, oh, God, I've got to work. Oh, man, how many more days till Saturday? You know, I never think that. Not once in 24 years I've been doing this. Have I ever gotten them go, oh, I got to go to work. Oh, it's not, when's the weekend? I never felt that way. And that to me means more than money, any, anything else. It's, it's, it's just having that quality of life and being able to be okay to live in that moment and be happy where you're at today as opposed to waiting for something to that, make you happy. Right? That though. I mean, yeah. But being happy today it's so simple. It is. It's a choice. It's a simple choice if you just make it. It's exactly right. And that's why I think a lot of people miss. They're like, I'll be happy when I get that promotion. Uh, I'll be happy when I get that house. I'll be happy when I get that car. I'll be happy when I make $100,000, whatever. It, if you're waiting for that, you're never going to be happy because there's always going to be something on, behind that and behind that and behind that. You there's just always be, more. Exactly. So it's like the secret to me is like, there's like this little thing we have down in the, in, on the kitchen table. It's one of those goofy little trinkets, but it says the secret to, to um, having everything you ever wanted is knowing that you already do something to that effect. Right. Cause it's, it's literally a choice to wake up, be happy, be positive. You've got today and live in the moment. So there it is. <laughs> Good. I can't think of a better place to stop. John, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Since the recording of this podcast, the Mildias has come out. It's on the market. It's available. And I got to say that cigar's fire. It's getting amazing ratings everywhere. I believe it deserves them. The Crown Heads, Pichardo Cigars, and Ace Prime Cigars made a truly unique gem with this cigar. It does not, however, taste like Honey Nut Cheerios, but you should smoke it yourself and see what you think about it. You can find John Huber on Instagram as at the crown heads. It's really him. He posts, he comments, he's super engaged with all of us cigar nerds. If you don't follow him, you probably should. Last but not least, don't forget to check out www.cigarnivorepodcast.com where you'll find show notes for this and every episode, including links and descriptions for all of the cigars discussed. Also follow us on Instagram as at cigarnivorepodcast. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cigarnivorepodcast. Can't wait to have you as part of the Cigar Nivore family. Thanks again for listening and stay ashy, my friends.